0: Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, the place where every couple of weeks I get to feel slightly more hopeful about the world without feeling any guilt or shame about it. You know, just a good dose of guilt-free hope and imagining. Don't we just love that? I don't actually know if I have all that much to say at the top of this episode, so I think we're just going to jump straight in. It's another guest who I get to call a friend, and I'm very lucky that I get to call them that. It kind of goes into a deep dive into how they got started in activism and why focusing on local action is so important when we want to create our ideal world. It's a great one. Enjoy. Thanks for joining me. I like everyone to introduce themselves, so if you can, yeah, say hello. What do you do who you are? That'd be great.
1: Cool. so hi, my name's Talia um i'm twenty two and I'm based in the u k um, and I'm a photographer um and a kind of amateur filmmaker and a activist. I'm primarily a free freelance creative and activist mainly do work around kind of environmental and climate justice um but also, uh, obviously intersections with social justice and other issues um, and yeah and I've been involved with a real range of campaigns and movements over the past like two three years that I've been working um, full-time. Uh I've done a lot with Extinction Rebellion, um, with the youth climate movement and school strikes um, and most recently with uh, the campaign against HS2 and Um, the kill the bill campaign against the police crimes and sentencing bill here in the UK but I've done lots of other bits as well as that but those are kind of like the main things I've done.
0: Amazing yeah we'll get more into especially the HS2 campaign a bit later. Um, The first question I always like to ask to kind of get a feel for where you're at at the moment is whether you find it easy at the moment to envision an ideal world because it definitely changes for me at least all the
1: time um no I don't find it easy at all (laughs) I actually have found that over the past few months especially with kind of experiences I've had on the HS2 campaign and within those spaces and those communities um I found it more difficult to envision an ideal future and i feel like a lot of the work that i do is out of kind of fear and the want to kind of prevent or escape certain futures or even certain like presents um and yeah i have to work really hard to kind of find the motivation to do this work out of inspiration and hope for the future rather than just fear i think which is a really depressing note to start this conversation. No, on, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's good. It's true.
0: good. It, I I enjoy like hearing the differences between you know whether people do find it easy or not because I I like there being like a mix between like actually you know what well, it's really difficult because it is like especially when we're talking about like climate issues as well like it's essentially it's like a fight for our lives so we have to be realistic sometimes that it is it's never easy sometimes um what not that we have to be hopeful but like what are those few things that do help you come kind of come back to that
1: place of inspiration
0: if you can think of any right now
1: I mean I've been really lucky that I've had like a really uh, as well as kind of quite a broad experience of different groups and movements I've had a real experience of different kind of settings and especially kind of community um settings that different campaigns happen from. Um, and I'm lucky that I have connection to a really broad community of kind of activists across the UK. And although that I've experienced and there's kind of ongoing challenges and difficulties within that, it is a space and a community that I can kind of always come back to and I always know that I do have those people that that share my views about the world share my um, beliefs and and kind of the actions that I take around those beliefs Um, and it's really you know that I have a lot of love for that community and there's a lot of real like strength and beauty in that and that's something that you know, it can be as challenging as it can be amazing, but it's something that really kind of motivates me and keeps me going. And I think definitely just the people, you know, I've, man- I've met so many incredible people. I've worked with so many incredible people. I'd say the large majority of the kind of close friendships and relationships that I have in my life now are through my activism. And that's something that will kind of always motivate me and always keep me going, I think.
0: Yeah, people are definitely very powerful and uh Definitely keep me going as well. So, although maybe right now finding it a bit difficult to imagine a new world, if you were to, what would you say the is the first thing that comes to your mind when you imagine that? Um,
1: I think something that's become that I've become really aware of being like really really important and also really lacking, especially in our society, especially you know in the global north, in the UK, and other. Other such countries is our kind of access and connection to the natural world and it sounds like a really kind of obvious basic thing but actually you know as someone who's always thought of myself as being quite like aware of the natural world and connected to the natural world like living um, on the HS2 campaign like in woodlands that we were defending over the past year or so I've actually just become so much more connected to it than I could have ever imagined, you know, and that's from, you know, from me who already thought that I had quite a strong connection to it. Um, And just kind of the appreciation and respect that I have now for the natural world is just kind of beyond anything I could have imagined. And it honestly just brings me like so much joy and the stuff that I've learned, and kind of the experiences that I've had in those spaces, that you know, so many people just don't even have access to. They don't even know what they're missing, um, because they're so kind of like caged into the into like very like urban environments, you know. Um, and I think I I hope that we can find a way to kind of on a mass scale reconnect with those spaces before we kind of lose them altogether, you know because I just I see what a difference it's made for myself and my own well-being and my own mental health and similarly for so many others and I just like it really breaks my heart actually that it's become something so alien to us and so separate from us that we just don't even really know that we're missing that connection you know So I do hope, you know, one thing I am hopeful about and I, you know, I think in a lot of spaces and for a lot of people, it is becoming more common to kind of connect with outdoor spaces, connect to the kind of natural world around us. But I really hope that that just increases in the future Um, because I think it's going to be one of few things that actually kind of will be able to support people through a lot of shit that we have coming
0: something you mentioned there remind me of that there's that image that goes around that always like haunts me which is um the fact that we most people now can like recognize more logos and like images of corporate companies than they can of plants and they always just like I'm like oh god I really want I feel like I should all be our new year's resolution to all of us trying to learn more plant names than logos I
1: know I was gonna say I so get, like I so get what you mean and actually something that's been like a really specific thing that has been like really amazing for me is like you know as I said I've I've always had like I'd say considering I grew up in a city and everything I've quite a strong connection to like nature and the outdoors and everything but just like the last year of like living in woodlands like living in trees I've become like so much more aware of trees you know like I feel like I can see them now in a way that I've never been able to and something that I've actually been kind of learning over the past few months is how to identify different trees and like learning the names of different trees and um and like sub sub species and everything um which has just been like a kind of little thing that I get really excited about for myself um but yeah it's been really like incredible to do that and actually just be like whoa trees like look at these bees." (laughs) I
0: remember reading about that in um, Braiding Sweetgrass and how it kind of it basically opens up a whole other part of this world like you suddenly it's like oh I now can like you know I have this relationship because I can name these plants and I can name these trees so yeah it's really special and I also think it's like it's a relationship that will be, like, forever growing. Like, it's never going to stop. You're always going to learn more. So, yeah, that would be very nice if we can live in a world where we all we all have that relationship. Mm-hmm. This also could be a difficult question because actually something that came up in my, my last episode um, was this idea of, like although there are things we want to keep, there's also so much that we just don't have yet. Um, but if you're able to, what are some things that you would like to keep from this version of the world and take into the future?
1: If there is anything. That's, that's interesting. That's not something I've thought of that much before. Um...
0: I like I like the pause of the the contemplation yeah
1: I don't know it's difficult because I feel like there's so many things but then it's like it's difficult to find anything that also doesn't come with some kind of shit you know (laughs) um oh god I don't know that's a really difficult one from this version of the world I mean you know I think is so like I think technology and kind of social media is like a real blessing and a real curse, you know. And I don't think I think that it's like you know we're really pushing the limits of of where technology should should be and where it's going. Um, i but I think I'd like to take a version of our kind of online existence and social media. I don't think necessarily what we have currently, because I think that actually a lot of the time, the um, kind of negative impacts of it outweigh the positive. But I do think that actually there is a lot of, a lot of positive and a lot of like uh, usefulness from, in technology and social media. And I think especially when it comes to kind of like the work that I do definitely, I wouldn't have been able to do and wouldn't be able to do in the same way if it wasn't for social media and technology and I think that like it's really enabled me to connect with so many more people and groups that I could have ever imagined um and it has like it enables us to create these like really incredible kind of global communities um so I think elements of that I think I would take forward, but I mean honestly, I don't. I don't even know where to start when it comes to kind of like reducing the negative impacts that social media especially has on us and like whether you know we it has gotten out of control um, and it's just going to be kind of more downhill from here but I think that there are some really powerful aspects to it that I think it would be a shame if those were completely ruined by kind of where we're heading with. Our technology when it comes to
0: climate and social justice issues we often have to take you know the whole global perspective into account um and social media and the internet does sometimes allow us to do that so it definitely does have its benefits like you say Talking about um, what you do in your work, from what I know, like you've kind of been surrounded by and uh, grown up in different ways with like activism around you. Um, so it'd be great to hear a bit about that. But also, how do you think like your vision for the future, in whatever the way that is, has kind of changed as you've grown up within those spaces?
1: Yeah, so I mean I was kind of the way I see it is that I was kind of like introduced to the concept of climate of like the climate crisis you know I mean when I first understood and was first taught about climate change it wasn't even called the climate crisis you know we didn't even use that terminology um and you know in I feel like in the youth movement a lot of young people talk about the they're kind of like waking up moment the moment that they first heard about the crisis the moment that they first like understood how bad everything was and i think for a lot of people that came with the you know the 20 2018 or 2019 ipcc report you know kind of around the time that that the youth movement really took off um and yeah i mean i'm definitely aware that i kind of had a more unusual introduction to it especially I'd say um as far as kind of young people in this country and their experience goes um obviously there was there's been a a real history of environmental campaigning and activism in this country going back to the 70s and 80s um even before perhaps um and i very much kind of was brought up amongst those groups and by that kind of generation of campaigners and activists um my my parents they were very involved kind of politically and they were very involved in so like green party politics and kind of local campaigning less so on the kind of like frontline um kind of environmental defence you know there are a lot of campaigns like the road protests and everything that happened in the eighties and nineties, um, a lot of direct action. They were less involved with that. Um, I mean, partly my mum wasn't in the country at that point, but they, you know, they have had involvement and they have a kind of connection to a lot of people that were involved in that. And so, I kind of grew up with a real understanding of those movements and knowing all about kind of friends of family that had been very involved um, and all of that. And so, and and kind of because of that, because of what my parents did, because of kind of the world that they lived in, the people that they engaged with, the work that they did, everything. Um, I never really had a moment where I kind of learn about climate change, learn about, you know, environmental destruction, social destruction, species loss, all of these things. It was just kind of something I was always aware of because it was a very fundamental part in which my family's life kind of revolved around and so yeah you know I mean it was interesting (laughs) to say the least growing up in a society that really didn't acknowledge these things at all I mean like you know it wasn't spoken about at all until about four or five years ago within my lifetime um it was extremely niche so it was in a lot of ways kind of very strange and difficult at times growing up in a society and also just like in my direct surroundings like we didn't the part of Oxford that I grew up in was kind of much more privileged and kind of relatively more conservative than other parts where a lot of our kind of more activisty friends lived, so I didn't go to school with anyone that kind of whose family was like my own, um, or who kind of understood about these things or had an awareness or anything. Obviously, when I was younger, like climate change was still there, all of these things were still happening, but it wasn't there wasn't that kind of urgency and that kind of concept of it being a crisis within kind of the global north you know when you're
0: talking about like having a moment like in a way like having like a light bulb moment is kind of a privilege
1: yeah yeah because we are sheltered from it you know so in some ways I'm grateful that I wasn't because I feel like I've had a much more realistic understanding of the world that I lived in and that definitely like enabled me to go down the path that I've gone and like live the life that I'm living you know Um, whereas I think for a lot of people, there's still a lot of fear and denial around that. I think growing up, I definitely saw it as something that like we just chose to do because that's just what my parents did and that it was actually kind of difficult and it made me kind of like different and a bit of an outsider to a lot of people. So it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Like there was a real lack of community in it for me. So I really kind of like resented it in my teens and just kind of was like, I wish I just didn't have to know about these things. I wish I could just be kind of normal, you know? um and then it wasn't until I moved out like went to uni got involved with the youth movement got involved with XR like found a community that shared those same views and practices and everything that I actually kind of became motivated to connect with it again and engage with it again I think and you know and at that point it then was suddenly like hold on we're in a crisis you know it's not just shit that's happening like places far away from here it's a global crisis that we all need to be engaging with
0: so I guess like the shift for you was you know you're kind of already awake to it it's just waiting for everyone else to be woken up
1: and yeah, I mean yeah I think definitely like for my generation and people our age like it was just no one spoke about it you know and I was always kind of picked on for being like the hippie kid and for kind of you know it wasn't seen as like a good thing to care about the environment when you're a kid or a teenager you know it seemed kind of weird and like yeah so it was definitely like finding people that kind of was similar to me in that sense that really kind of motivated me.
0: said it'd be great to explain a bit more about like the campaigns you're on at the moment so stopping HS2 a little bit about that and then I'll have a follow-up question about kind of your experience kind of living in that world and how that ties into the conversation.
1: I spent kind of the first couple of years from when I was like 19 when I first got involved in activism just primarily involved in the kind of global climate justice movement you know, and like the youth movement. And that was very much more kind of like mass mobilization, organising, like actions in in cities, like trying to get the government's attention, trying to get big corporations to kind of change their ways, all of this, which was great. Um then obviously was hugely impacted by lockdown and the pandemic, you know, because we couldn't do it was all very much about like galvanizing the masses and creating a movement you know um and then kind of uh because of that and you know I've been doing it for a while and I, I took a step back um around the first lockdown and had been kind of looking for something a bit different still within kind of the world of activism and justice work um but slightly different um and I'd heard about I kind of I was vaguely I was kind of aware of the HS2 campaign I'd been to a couple of rallies and kind of Uxbridge and, and London in support like through XR um I knew quite a few people that had gone out to the sites um during the first lockdown and so I'd kind of seen stuff that was going on and at that point you know I was kind of my understanding of it was that it was a hugely expensive government infrastructure project that despite being um, a railway project was actually hugely destructive to the little uh, like natural habitats and environments that we have left in this country as well as like many communities and that it was being funded by the public, huge amounts of money was going into it. It was all of this destruction was happening like through the first lockdown. Um, it wasn't essential work and there are all these things I didn't know huge amounts you know like I've learned so much more in the past year and being on the campaign but I'd grown up with these images of people like occupying trees and like trespassing on land and like defending like physically defending um, our land our habitats and our communities and our homes in this country back in like the 70s 80s 90s like I've grown up with those images I've grown up with those stories and actually that was the thing that I'd always dreamed about when I was a kid that was the thing that I was like oh my god I'm gonna do this one day i want to like save trees and you know like that was the thing that my parents had had done as well and so I was just like that was what really always motivated me and so I kind of just it was like the first thing I'd heard about that was kind of similar to that you know and so I got I went out just after the first lockdown finished in kind of May 2020. Um, And at that point, there was maybe like five or six camps set up in woodlands between London and Birmingham, woodlands that were uh, like going to be destroyed by HS2. Um, And there were people, there were like dozens of people on each camp, like occupying those spaces, living in the woodlands, like physically defending that space and that land. Um, and so I went out to a couple of them and I just kind of, you know, I got hooked straight away and then ended up spending most of the summer out there. And then most of the autumn to like December, you know, from kind of June to December, I was on site more than I wasn't. Um, and then, you know, just becoming completely involved. I mean, like my whole life, 24-7, living, working, everything I was doing was part of this campaign within these communities um there was so much more than just resisting this um the destruction being caused by this project you know it was about these people like all of these people from so many different backgrounds kind of coming together and creating the spaces and the ways of life that we kind of want to be living that we believe is is better that we're kind of craving almost and especially you know during lockdown when the whole world just seemed to flip on its head and everyone was so isolated and alone like living in these outdoor spaces with a community was just so incredible um and actually felt like you know like all the work I've done within the climate movement has been so amazing and I've you know there's been so many ups and downs but I've loved it all but really being on that campaign was the first time that I felt like I was definitely in the right place doing the right thing like it felt the most real it felt the most impactful and especially after kind of seeing how lockdown had affects the climate movement and how it all was just suddenly online and I was really just kind of like what is that what are we actually doing here actually being in those spaces was just really life-changing you know um I think it was the most kind of grounding experience that I could have for my activism Um, because I think actually you know what we get so we spend every day day in day out thinking about these kind of global crises and these global issues but I think we get so disconnected from them because we have the privilege of not having to live them you know in this country and I think that actually that is a real disadvantage in our work especially when it comes to kind of international solidarity like our connection to the global movement and i think this experience of of your whole being fighting against these destructive practices these destructive industries like everything that you're doing is working toward is resistance you know i it was just an inc- like incredible i can't think of anything that would teach me more open my eyes more like transform my kind of my activism and just kind of every way in which I I live my life you know
0: I'm sure like um, me it's sometimes it's quite uncomfortable to when you hear someone say oh that's really inspiring what you're doing but actually listening to how passionate you are about it and how important it is to you is inspiring because it shows that you are in the right place at the right time and that's really great because it's nice to know there are people like you doing that work Um, so my question about all of that and linking it back and the way I phrase this I'm not sure I'm too happy with it my question is what have you learned from living in alternative or more radical spaces and the reason I'm not that happy with that is because it's not necessarily radical or alternative because people have been doing this as you say for years but compared to like the majority of people living life right now like they are living quote-unquote Very normal lives where what you're doing is alternative and is radical. So, what have you learned from these spaces um, in terms of, you know, creating an ideal world?
1: Mm. I mean, well, that is like, I think it is so important to kind of think about what we mean by radical because so often we use that term, and even if we're not using it in a negative way, we're still using it from a perspective of living in a very kind of post capitalist like industrialized like society you know like in the UK we're just we're we're so trapped in uh, in the system that we, we exist in you know so it's like things that in so many different contexts around the world are actually just kind of much more common seem really radical and really extreme for us you know um so like I'm glad that You brought that up as well. I think that you know climate justice work on the kind of global scale is so so important and it's been incredible to see how that movement has grown you know in the last few years Um, but I think we really really lose sight of the local context you know we really lose sight of how systems and processes that are being played out on a kind of really local scale especially in this country, you know, we live in a globally kind of dominant and powerful country. Um, And I think we often lose sight of how things that happen on a much smaller scale in our own local context has a impact on the global context, you know, how things are then perpetuated on a much larger scale. And it's so important, you know, that we are practicing international solidarity it's so important that we're recognizing the extent to which like our lives have an impact on people and planet and non-humans and everything like across the globe you know and it's so important that we're doing work on that and taking responsibility for that but I really do believe that like um you know it's what if you've seen you know lost along the line it's what Chris Chris Packham said in that when he's like it's all very well you leaning over the fence and telling your neighbor how they should be looking after their garden if your garden is incredibly biodiverse and thriving and and you know amazing but if yours isn't you know if you're not treating your own back backyard in the right way then it's pretty ripe us telling others to do that. And I think that's something that we often forget about, that there's so much work that needs to be done within our own spaces, within our own communities, you know, within our home context. And I think being involved with not only the HS2 campaign, but just like all the kind of much more local grassroots campaigns and movements and groups that I've kind of been involved with coming into contact with through the HS2 campaign. It's made me realise like how much work there needs there is to be done just around us and how important that work is going to be done. And if everyone just did a bit of that work on the local scale, it would eventually have a huge impact globally. Um, and I think you know that's it's been really difficult because in a lot of ways it's shown me how far we are away from living in a fair and just and prosperous world um but it's also shown me like how important that work is like how much work we have to do but also how much impact you can have and how important that work is and how much you can learn and and contribute by just doing it in your immediate environment you know, I think for me, I definitely got to the point where I was like, you know, I've been doing this for two years. I don't really know where it's got me. I'm just going to sack it all off and go and live in the woods. Kind of like I'm going to start from scratch. You know, I'm going to completely uproot my idea of, of activism, my idea of justice, my idea of, of what this work is and start from the basics. Try and find a community to do this work with, try and challenge these things within that community. You know trying to trying to achieve it in my own life you know because it's not just about like how sustainable you're living but it's also about whether you can practice what we preach you know when it comes to like like sustainability and like well-being and in our relationships and not perpetuating like oppressions and and everything
0: used to seem really radical to you but doesn't anymore
1: I just think I like for me just like living outside and living yeah like living in a space where you're not really spending money you are getting rid of a lot of the kind of comforts that we really take for granted like it's made me realize a couple of things one that I actually am a lot more kind of introverted and more of a homebody than i actually realized like i really need my own space that's familiar to me that's secure to me away from people like in order to just kind of maintain my well-being which i didn't realize i was kind of always thought before that i was like yeah i just need to be around people 24/7 that's great um but it's also made me realize like how much stuff we have that we just don't need you know like it's funny how many people when i talk about kind of having lived outdoors lived in the woods for the past year they're like oh but how do you like how do you like afford it how do you sustain it if you're not working and I'm like what do you think I'm spending money on you know and like I'm aware that this comes from like a real place of privilege you know like we're we're living in these contexts of like being on a campaign so we have a lot of you know like um donations and a lot of support from local people a lot of support from different groups and everything um and also I am kind of like middle class I'm like have a stable home and kind of financial situation and so like I do say that from a real place of privilege and I do I'm aware of that but even having said that like you know I've just realized like how much you can live without and it's ridiculous it applies
0: even if you don't live outdoors or in the woods like if you if you create a life where you just don't need as much whether it's money or physical things then you don't have to do as much to maintain that level of life like for example I know from my experience like from learning about the fashion industry and stuff like that like spending money on clothes just it's not in my budget like I don't have a monthly like clothing budget so I don't even have to think about that as one less thing to worry about so if you actually yeah you put in those steps to create the world and the life that you want you you're not doing
1: as much have to maintain it. We are such products of our system you know like as as much as we kind of do work around anti-capitalist work and kind of trying to dismantle that and everything we kind of So often forget how dependent we have made ourselves on money, you know, and the extent to which and like ownership. I think that's another real thing. Like owning your own, owning your own home, owning your own space, owning your own belongings, like having that security. Whereas there's so much, you know what I've realized, I think one of the main things I've realized on this campaign is like how much stuff humans make. Like we make so much stuff. And there is never, you know, especially in this country, it's ridiculous, like we're very lucky that there's actually never a shortage of food or like space or clothing or or whatever. It's just how it's who has access to it and how it's distributed, you know, and there are ways you can learn that kind of divert from the norm of purchasing things in shops or online there are ways that you can learn to still get access to resources that we need to survive that does go against the system, you know, and there's a lot of ways and there's so many different skills to be learned when it comes to kind of existing outside of, of our economy, you know, and it's not easy and it does help to have, you know, a home that you can be in, you know, and it does help to have some form of financial stability, but it is possible to do, even if you don't have those privileges, you know. And I think actually, it's just showing me how how indulgent we are as a society, you know, and how crazy.
0: I think one good example is, um, at least from the the campaigners and activists that I followed um, in that space, is like bin diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the amount of food waste there is it's just like whenever I walk past a supermarket now, I'm like. I'm eyeing up where their bins are. Not that I've ever done it yet, but it's just like knowing that they throw away so much, which is just perfectly fine to eat and consume. Um, Yeah, it really just highlights the flaws in these systems. Fun question. What would you invent in your ideal world? And it can be absolutely
1: anything. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, okay this is like really this is quite random I'm literally just kind of semi-thinking it up on the spot okay I'd invent some kind of software that shows whether it's like a film or an image or a piece of writing or a piece of audio whatever you know can on the spot come up with some kind of content to show any individual in the world that will make them understand why capitalism is a bad thing, understand neo-colonialism, the history of colonialism, understand systems of oppression, understand how that plays out in their lives, understand how it's shaping the world that we live in, and have that want and motivation to dismantle those systems and take action, you know? I was so intrigued that well that was going. I'm <laughs> like
0: great. So it's some sort of like tailored mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. That will create something that you know will hit them.
1: Yeah, literally, because this is a thing, because I spend so much you know, as a creative, as someone who does like the majority of my activism work revolves around like media and content creation and making films and taking photos and everything. Like I spend so much time just being like how can we reach people? How can we reach people? Like, how can we break the bubble? How can we change people's mindsets and everything? And I'm like, imagine if we had some kind of software that could just do it just like that, like some kind of like artificial intelligence that just would be able to read people's psychology, read their history, read everything about them and just be like, right, you need to see this, this will change your life, this will get you acting. But I guess, you know, if we had that, we wouldn't need an ideal world because we'd have the ideal world.
0: It's true. I think the closest we can get to that currently is trying to pinpoint the thing that someone cares about the most and showing them how that is going to make an impact. Because I think that is often what does it like for for me, I grew up wanting to be a fashion designer, learned about the fashion industry. Oh, OK, not going to do that anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But then it's crazy how so many people I think it's so much more actually than just what you care about, because there are so many people that will learn about that and it still won't change their minds, you know. Like, I think it's, this is why I'm constantly like, what is it? What is it? What is it? I'm actually quite impressed with myself that I came up with that because I feel like that's a fucking sick idea. If anyone listens to this episode and knows anyone that's making something like this, hit me up, please. (laughs) Last
0: question. What is one thing you think people listening can do to help us get closer to an ideal
1: version of the world? I think literally that, like, find the thing that moves you. Find the thing that motivates you. Like, you know, if you're already kind of more left-leaning and sympathetic to these things, well, then that's great because you're already there. Like, you're already not kind of holding or perpetuating those, like, well, okay, maybe not perpetuating because we're all perpetuating systems of oppression and all this bullshit in some way. But I mean, like, you're not... Your mind's in the right place. So I think just find the thing that lights that spark that motivates you like whatever it is even if it's something completely personal completely selfish that like is nothing to do with other people or the greater good like anything that lights that spark that fire in you to take to take action you know to seek action I think is so so important and also just like cherish that You know, whatever it is, like really cherish that. So like for me, you know, I mean, there's so many things, but like photography is is the thing that I always come back to because it's something that I'm so passionate about. It's something that I know I can always use to kind of like create good and do good. And that also really nourishes me um so I think that's really really important so if
0: you're heading in the right direction just keep on going and don't stop (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah all
0: that (laughs) well thank you so much for sharing all of that it was great and yeah hopefully it will inspire people to think outside the box more and think about what they can do to create their ideal world
1: yeah I really hope so thank you so much for having me
0: As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to follow the podcast elsewhere, then you can find it on Instagram at, at IdealisticallyPod and on Twitter at, at IdealisticallyP. You can find me at, at Tolmea, which is spelled T O L M E I A. And all the information, book recommendations, everything else you could ever possibly want will be in the description to the episode. Please feel free to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are able to. Like, share, send it to your friends, send it to your mum. I will be forever grateful. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory.